0: Well Good morning, welcome to Grace Church. Uh, my name is Zach Galman, and I have the joy of serving Jesus here with you all today. Uh, fortunately for you i 'm not normally the one to to preach and give the word. Uh, Pastor Steve and Jan are at off island ECC off Island Church today, thanking them for for supporting us through this this church plant, um, thanking them for giving financially and and praying for us and so They're there to express our gratitude uh, to ECC Off-Island. They were uh, on island uh, in uh, December, and um, so they're there today. So we're praying for them. We're thankful for ECC Off-Island. So has anybody ever experienced unfairness in life? Has right. anybody experienced this where you, you feel that you're the big fish in a small bowl and you see someone else who's experiencing like just wow, you know? We all have experienced this, right? We've all experienced unfairness in life, injustice in life, where we just, you know, just clench our fists and say life is not fair. And, and the reality is sometimes life just isn't Fair. We we know this. We've experienced this. If it hasn't been us, and we have kids who have who have complained about the fairness of life, we, even adults that we see has complained about the fairness of life. Um, and the reality is, life sometimes just isn't fair. Sometimes, or situations always don't turn out how we had planned and hoped for. Right and uh, because the unfairness of life can hit rather hard sometimes, we are often left with questioning our, our very own purpose in life. What does it mean for me to even live? What, what is my reasoning for, for being here? And sometimes these, uh, God uses these injustices and the unfairness of life to, to really, to take grip of us and, and, and bring us to our knees, you know, like he brings us Low, so we can experience Him and see how exalted and, and how glorious He is. And so sometimes we don't understand what's going on and why we're being brought low, but know that God is bringing us low so that we can experience His goodness and we can behold His glory. And so we're going to think about that today. We've all experienced um, injustices and unfairness in life. And it's that it's that point in time. It's that moment in time when we and we question God, and we even question how good He is and His goodness. But uh, He always answers us when we call upon Him. You know, how many of you experienced just the indescribable joy of for the very first time knowing who Christ was? You were brought low. You were you were humbled to the point where you know I'm in this low point, but but God saved me, and you seek refuge in Him, and then. All of a sudden, you're on top of the world, right? You're you're riding this this spiritual high. Everything's going really well. You're, you've got a good job, and you've got a good family, and Jesus is like answering all your prayers, and you experience this spiritual high. Like, yes, Jesus, right? And you're riding this 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 mountaintop, and you're you're soaring, um, you're soaring on this mountain because everything is going well. Um. Like I said, Jesus is answering all your prayers. You know, you're, you're driving and, and all the traffic lights are green and people are staying in their lanes and they're not honking their horns and not flashing their lights, not cutting you off. Everything is just seems to be going so well. And like your neighbor brings you canuffa and you enjoy that. And so this is like your, your favorite song on the radio is playing. You're like, this is a sign, right? Like Jesus is what's up, you know? And so we ride this spiritual high, and um, everything seems to be going well, until one day you get sick, and God doesn't immediately answer your prayer and and heal you. Huh. And then your car breaks down on Tuesday, and on Thursday you get two flat tires and have to spend all your your savings that you were going to use to go on a vacation, and then you start to question What's, what's going on here, God? Like, here I was, you know, the, on the spiritual high, and everything's going really well. And now this. Like, we, have, have you felt that way? Like, you believe that you're supposed to be on the spiritual high all the time, and then something happens, and you're left wondering, what's, what's going on? Months later, you, you, your best friend receives a call about a lab report and they've been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Or a young family is struck and killed by a drunk driver, four-year-old, ten-year-old, and the spouse is left in critical condition, and you start to question the goodness and fairness of life. Wait a minute, God. Hold on here. This isn't supposed to happen. I've already been low, and, and so you brought me to this spiritual high, and, and now I'm starting to go back down, Lord. I don't understand what is going on. Everything is supposed to be going perfectly as I planned, God. All things are supposed to be smooth with Jesus, right? No, no hiccups in our faith walk. And all of a sudden, the spiritual high you were on has shifted and and turned your world upside down. And instead of soaring on the mountains as you're walking with Jesus, you find yourself on a crash course to a pit of destruction. You come to a point where you hit this spiritual, emotional wall. And you're left in unbelief, not understanding what's going on in your life. This spiritual, emotional wall is what Henry Blackaby defines as a crisis of belief it's, what, it's, it's when you see, what you see and what you experience is different from what you know that you should believe or that you do believe. And when you see and experience, when you see and what you experience is different from what you believe, this creates tension and it creates this con- or this conflict of belief. You may go back to questioning what your purpose in life is. You may go question the goodness of God, and you hit this spiritual wall and think about either turning around, God, I don't, I don't need this, or you try to wander around and find your way around this, this conflict. Many of us have a hard time understanding why certain things happen in life, and in those times, we start to ponder the fairness of life. We even ponder the fairness of God. We've all heard the questions, and sometimes we are the ones asking them, God, why do bad things happen to good people? God, if you're so good, how could you allow evil acts to to occur to innocent lives? God, if you're so loving, then why why does injustice go forward? God, if you're so powerful, why do you let corrupt politicians oppress people? God, why, why, why? How could you? Where are you? Where are you now when I need you the most? God, where are you now? I was driving home from work yesterday, um, and normally I like to keep it quiet because I hear enough noise of 120 Emirati teenagers throughout the day, and so I like it quiet, but for some reason, I just wanted some noise, extra noise on the way home, so I turned on the radio, uh, which is something I never do, Um, and this this song was playing, I'm just like, it's not a Christian song, but it's clearly God speaking about this message, it was just so perfectly fit together with with our message today, and so it's a short video, Let's, let's watch it. And see if you can relate.
1: You were the shadow to my light. Did you feel us? another star?
0: Come to this point in life, this, this crisis of belief where we are forced to make a decision when our world has been totally shaken and turned upside down. God, I thought you were fair and good and loving and just. Now it seems that, that you aren't. God, it seems that you don't care, Lord. Where are you now? I'm supposed to believe all good about you, God, but what I see is different from what I believe. When we come to this wall, I believe there are three directions that we can take. There are three responses. Two, how we tend to respond when we hit this wall and and meet this crisis of belief. And then one response, how I think that we should respond. So how do we respond to this crisis of belief when, when God doesn't seem fair? I think there are two dangerous responses to a crisis of belief. When our belief differs from what we see and experience. When our belief differs from what we see and experience, we can dangerously one turn completely away from God. We hit this wall; we're crashing hard into it. Life just unexpectedly takes a turn for the worse, um, and so you start to begin questioning who God is and 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 why He would allow such things to happen. When He brought me from from this low point in my life to this spiritual high, and 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 now you start questioning God. I don't understand God. You. You say that you're good. You say that you're just and loving, and you allow this to happen in my life, Lord. I've already been here, so I don't want to go back. And so you start, you start struggling with the belief that God isn't who He says He is, and He's not doing what He says He will do. And so we hit this wall, or we can hit this wall, and turn back, and and return to a, to a life of Christ or life before Christ. And um, so obviously, this is a dangerous situation. Uh, where, where this response leads people to retreat and live life without Christ. God, I don't need you. If, if, if this is going to happen, then I don't need you. And so they walk away from Christ. Another dangerous response to a crisis of belief is when we, to naively deny reality and ignore real problems. That's, that's not happening. You come to this wall and, and you just... You, you ignore it. You, you deny that the wall is actually there. And so you, you're left wandering around. You're like, anytime you get close to this wall, this is too comfortable. And so you take a step in the opposite direction. And you're kind of just wandering around and trying to find your own way around this, around this struggle, around this, this painful experience. And we hit this wall. And instead of embracing God and asking tough questions like, where are you now?, we ignore reality. We ignore and deny our problems. We deny the wall is actually there. It's because we think it's wrong to ask God questions, right? Like, we've all been trained, never question God because he is all-powerful, he is all-sovereign, he is all-knowing. How dare you challenge the, the creator of the universe, God? I mean, I think that's ridiculous. Like, Where is that in Scripture? Who who says that we can't question God? I know someone, you know someone who said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think his name is Jesus, and I think Jesus was perfect. And so when Jesus is asking God, difficult questions in difficult times, I see that it's also okay for us to ask God difficult questions in difficult times because he can handle it. Not asking questions and denying reality is dangerous because it causes us to avoid God. Sometimes when we come to this wall, this, this conflict of belief, it's God who is in it all. He's, he's in the fire, he's in the storm, he's, he's at the wall and he's wanting us to, to embrace him, to meet him in this trial. And so when we deny that, we're denying and, and avoiding God. He could, he could be calling us to himself and instead we're trying to find a way around and we miss God. So we looked at two ways that we dangerously respond to God. We can either, when we hit this wall, this crisis of belief, we can either turn away from God or we can try to avoid God and, and get around a different, different path. So how should we respond when we face a crisis of belief? How should we respond when we hit this spiritual wall and, and God seems unfair This question starts a three part series on the book of Habakkuk. And the first part is today, and Lord willing, over the next few months, as as the opportunity arises for me to preach, we'll continue the last two chapters. The book of Habakkuk helps us live by faith as we unpack what it means to wrestle with God, to wait on God, and to worship God when life seems unfair. If you're taking mental notes, you could say it's our www.god series. Wrestle, wait and worship. That's easy to remember, right? Www. Now a little background to the book of Habakkuk. The word Habakkuk, and this is really important. The name Habakkuk means to literally to embrace or to wrestle. So, so when you're wrestling with God, the verb Habakkuk, right? It's this idea that you're clinging on to God. you're not going to let go especially when life seems fair, so you hold tight, you Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of the 12 minor prophets, not minor because of the importance or significance of the book, but because of the the length of the book in comparison to the major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and because we know very little about Habakkuk. Uh, Here we are 600 years, around 600 years before Christ, and uh, there's not much that we do know about Habakkuk or when this was written, but we do know that he was uh, a Jew living in the nation of Judah, Um, and at this time, this this is a time where Judah and Israel had split after a civil war, and so here's Judah um, and, and Habakkuk. This is a time when Habakkuk and Judah were experiencing a roller coaster ride of kings. And so, as you read through the scriptures, you see the kings that were, that were ruling Judah. And so, they were on this roller coaster of good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings. First, it started with Hezekiah, uh, who was a God fearing man, a very godly king. And then the son Manasseh, who was, who was probably one of the worst and most evil rulers of, of Judah. Um, And then you go on to King Josiah, who was also God-fearing and wanted to bring revival to the nation of Judah. Um, And then we get to Jehoiakim, who was also an evil ruler, leading the people into uh, destruction and evil lives and wickedness. Innocent lives were being slaughtered for money. The, the innocent were taken advantage of. The poor were even oppressed even more. People were worshiping idols. And so Habakkuk was caught up in this roller coaster, and he was witnessing the evil and corruption going on, and his heart was just full of anguish. He was angry because he knew what God, or who God was. He knew what God said uh, to be true. But what he saw, what he experienced with his life, there was, there was, a, there was a gap. And so he's taking this frustration out and he wants to embrace God and ask difficult questions in this brokenness. And so he asks, God, where are you? And so we begin our scripture reading from chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted." Habakkuk knew who God was, and he knew that, and he believed that God was going to deliver through with his promises, but here Habakkuk faces a crisis of belief. He was left wondering why God would allow such evil and wickedness to occur. He responds by beginning to Habakkuk with God to embrace God, to even wrestle with God, asking the question, God, I don't understand. You are so good, you are so sovereign, but you're sitting there doing nothing. God, I'm crying out to you for help and you don't seem to answer me. You don't seem to, to care. Lord, I don't understand. Why aren't you doing anything about this? Where are you now? I know many of you can relate to Habakkuk. God, I've been working really hard for this this promotion. I've been faithful in my work. And this guy who's doing nothing, who's always late to work and pretty much just stinks at life, gets the promotion. God, that doesn't seem fair. God, I've devoted my life to living a healthy lifestyle. I've exercised. I eat healthy cancer God why why me God this isn't fair God why do you allow corrupt politicians to rule nations God why is it that what, we've been trying to have kids for 10 years and don't yet there are others who, who don't even want their kids but still continue to have them God where are you at in this this doesn't seem fair God, why do you let injustice go forth? Where are you at in all of this? So, Habakkuk, we question God. And how does God respond to the complaint? Does he respond with with anger and frustration that you're, how dare you question me? How dare you challenge me? I'm sovereign, I'm all knowing, I'm all powerful. This is God speaking, not me. (laughs) How could you? No, this this is not how he responds, as we see in verse 5 through 11. God says, Habakkuk, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God says, I'm doing something so great and marvelous, Habakkuk You won't understand why I'm doing this, even if I told you. So could you imagine Habakkuk like, okay, God, you you say that you're doing something. I don't necessarily see it right now. Um, Go ahead, bring it to me, right? Go ahead, bring it on. What what are you going to do? Verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, or or Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. God says, Habakkuk, I am going to do something. I am going to punish sin. It's not going to happen how you would envision, envision, though, Habakkuk. I am going to bring forth justice. I am going to rescue you and save those who are faithful to me. But you see, Habakkuk, there are going to be casualties in Judah. Judah. There are going to be complications and struggles and pain and death. Habakkuk, this is the oracle, it's a a burden. Habakkuk doesn't want to go back and share this with the nation of Judah. Habakkuk, tell my people I'm going to use the Babylonians, a ruthless and vile empire, to destroy and wipe out sin and the nation of Judah. Could you imagine how speechless Habakkuk would have been? He's pouring his life out to God. He's asking tough questions. God, why aren't you doing anything? God's saying, I am doing something. Habakkuk's like, okay, I don't see it. What is it, God? And he says, I'm going to use someone far worse, far more evil to bring justice to you and, and, to, and to the nation of Judah, those who are faithful with me. Huh? God, you're going to do what? What? Like, I don't understand, God. I don't think you understand what I just said. You know, like, there's injustice. You're not doing anything. You're supposed to punish, punish sin, punish injustice. And now you're going to punish sin and injustice with more injustice and more wickedness and more evil. Put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes for a minute. You're frustrated and angry with all of this wickedness and sin corruption, evil, unfairness. You keep crying out, asking God when he is going to do something about this and this is the response you get. A few years ago, before we came to Abu Dhabi, it was actually what led us here. I was, it was a really spiritual high time in our lives. Everything was going well. I had a really good job. Um, My family was, was all happy. Uh, I love my coworkers and, and the relationships I built with them and, and the students and, and, and uh, parents and the community there. Uh, we were involved in a, in a great church, living in, in a great city, Savannah, Georgia, in the U.S. Things were going extremely well until one day I was forced to either resign or be terminated, be fired. Now, I hadn't done anything wrong, illegal, immoral. I had broken no policies. From my point of view, I was just speechless, not knowing how something like this could happen. I was slandered and lied about, and ultimately I lost my job. Here I was before on top of the world, and now I hit this, this wall, this crisis of belief, and my, and my faith and my world had just been shaken up and, and turned upside down injustice, unfairness, corruption. I was angry, frustrated, questions started to arise, and I hit this emotional, spiritual wall, this crisis of belief. And I remember driving to a a large pier, just on Tybee Island, looking over the Atlantic Ocean, one in the morning, uh, just with no words to say, just, just broken, just absolutely Rocked, and the only thing that I could muster up was God, why? Why would you allow this to happen to me? Why do I have to suffer this injustice? God, if you are real, if you are who you say you are, why? Do something about this, God. And I just remember sitting there for hours, just looking at the stars, listening to the, the waves of the ocean. And it was in that moment that God spoke in the most clear voice I have ever heard in my life. And he says, I am here. I'm here in your pain. I'm here in your suffering. I'm here at this wall. Zach, I just need you to Habakkuk. I need you to hold on. And You know, I'll I'll know the song Hold On and Give It All You Got. Anyways, um, no, okay. Don't listen to that song. Anyways, in, in some way, that's what God wants us to do, not just to hold on and, and, and fight through it, but he wants us to hold on to him, to embrace him in the struggle, because that's where God is. He's in the fire. He's in, he's in the storms of life, and so he wants us to hold on. He says, Zach, I'm doing something great in your life, and you're not going to believe it right now, and you might not see it until years later, but I'm doing something You you know, you're going to be lied about, you're going to be slandered and and gossiped about, and you're going to lose your job, but God said, I'm doing something for for your good, Zach. And so as I began to habakkuk and embrace God in the struggle, God began to give me joy and and peace and comfort for years have gone and struggles have come by, but he has always faithfully blessed me when I have wrestled or habakkuked with him. So, as Habakkuk is wrestling with God, God assures him he is doing something wonderful. But that answer didn't satisfy Habakkuk. Because just like God said he, he wouldn't understand what was going on, God told Habakkuk that he is working all things out together for his good and his glory, but still Habakkuk just didn't understand. And so we read Habakkuk's second complaint. Verse 12 says. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He, gather them, he gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So here's this crisis of belief again. What Habakkuk sees with his eyes the corruption, the wickedness, the injustice, the evil is different from what he believes and understands about God. You see, Habakkuk knew in his mind the right things about God. He had the proper theology, is what we would say today in today's time. And you see that in verse 12. "God, are you not eternal?" So he, see, he knows that God is eternal. We shall not die. Habakkuk knows that faith in Christ or faith in God leads to eternal life, and, and we know that we will not perish when we die. I know that I have eternal life in you, God. You say you're going to punish sin. Okay. But God, you're not doing anything. You say that you are, but you're not doing anything. I don't see it. So there's this crisis of belief. He believed, Habakkuk believed, or said he believed, but lacked faith in actually believing. Sometimes we have the right theology. You know, we, we always say that we understand something with, with our mind, our heads, and, and, and there's not a connection with our, our hearts. There's this, this gap. We, always have the, we say we have the right theology, but there's this gap in knowing what to believe and having the truth faith to actually believe it. Our experiences differ from what we believe to be true with God. But who am I to question God, right? So we end up never humbly and honestly bringing our struggles and difficult life questions to the Lord. Instead, we ignore the spiritual wall and deny reality this isn't really happening, uh, I was on the spiritual high, um, so I'm just going to kind of try to wander back to, to find this spiritual high, uh, I'm getting a little too close to, to this struggle, to this, this trial, to this injustice, to the wickedness, not really knowing that God is there, uh, and so I don't need that, and so I just kind of, we just kind of wander around and we ignore Reality. We fail to embrace God in the struggle. We fail to to Habakkuk. We fail to wrestle with God. And that's dangerous because when God is calling us to the fire, when he's calling, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Like, God was in the fire. His, His presence was there. When he's calling us to the fire, it's because he's in it and ready to bless us as we go in it with him. So often we want to take the easy road. We don't want to face the struggle We try to find easier ways around the wall so we don't engage with God and embrace him and we miss out on his blessings. I don't believe that's what God wants for us. I believe he wants us to ask him hard questions in hard times because there is a place for godly grieving and having sorrow in God and with God. I believe God not only hears our complaints and questions and struggles and difficulties, he not only hears us when we come to him in grief and in anger and frustration and anguish, but he also fills our sorrow. When we grieve before him, he has compassion for us. He delights when we come to our knees and and, and we sing just earlier that we exalt you, God. We look to you. We're, God brings us low so we can only look up and see him and, and how exalted he is. So God delights when we come to him and even complain. We know this is true because, in, of God because we see David recalling how he experienced God's love, compassion, and mercy in Psalm 40. Verse 1 through, 1 through 3, David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me the, and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth and a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. When we bring our crisis up to of belief to God, this is what he will also do for us. He'll pick us up out of the, the miry bog, out of out of destruction, and set our feet on a solid rock of Jesus. He always meets us when we bring our questions and struggles and, and complaints to him. Do you believe that? Like, God will always, say it, always meet you, always meet you. Yes, that was... Very uncoordinated on my part. But know that God will always meet you and, and rescue you and give you refuge. No matter what you're going through, God will meet you. So church, Habakkuk, embrace him. God can handle it. It's okay to humbly question and challenge God. It's okay to wrestle with God until he does something so powerful in your life. Do you remember the story of, of Jacob in, in the book of Genesis? Jacob is, is uh, fleeing Laban and trying to escape his brother Esau, who's trying to kill him. Pretty unfair, pretty injustice. You, I mean, there's, there's injustice going on, I would say. And so he comes to this point at night where, where he, he meets this figure um, and they start wrestling, physically wrestling with one another for hours. All throughout the night, Jacob is just wrestling with this guy. And so, the, so this man, this, this figure, is, is seeing that Jacob's not going to give up so easily. So he kind of just touches his hip socket and boom, like hip socket out of joint. His hip is broken. And so Jacob continues to wrestle, continues to, to meet this figure and the, figures, and the man figures like, dude, the, the day is about to break. Um, could, you, could you just kind of let me go? And we see in Genesis 32, verse 26, that says, I will not let, this is Jacob speaking, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the figure was God. Jacob was wrestling with God. He had seen God face to face and struggled with him. God, I'm going to embrace you through this struggle. I'm going to Habakkuk you. I'm going to wrestle until you bless me. And we know that God ended up blessing Jacob. Same was for the prophet Habakkuk. Going back to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. It's really a part of uh, of chapter 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk says, God, I'm going to continue to wrestle with you. I'm going to continue to embrace you and ask hard questions and, and wonder why that you're, you're not doing, doing this and why you're not here with me, God. I'm going to Habakkuk you until I see you do something. And in the next chapter, we'll see God answers again, and continue. he starts to work, and he starts to move, and Habakkuk can see that. And ultimately, in chapter 3, this leads to Habakkuk just busting out in worship, just like the Holy Ghost experience where you're on top of the world again on a spiritual high, and it's all because he struggled or he embraced and he wrestled with God, and next, or next time we, we look at chapter 2, he's waiting on God, and that leads to worship of God, and so we have the proper theology, we're struggling with this crisis of belief, but God in that trial, in that struggle, allows us to wrestle with him, and then to wait on him, and so this theology that we start with leads to doxology, or, or worship in our hearts. But for now, as we question and wrestle with God, as Habakkuk did, we see the character of God revealed in chapter 1. What does Habakkuk 1 reveal to us about God? Number one, there are five things. Number one, God is sovereign. You see the words in verse 12, ordained, established. So God ordains even evil things to happen. If you remember, Joseph was sold off into slavery, and God said, what the enemy meant for evil, I mean it for your good. And so God is completely sovereign, and this is a win for us, because God is in complete control, and he allows evil things to happen for our good. Number two, God is always at work. God doesn't just sit back and watch everything that he's created just kind of unravel, but he's constantly Working. You see in verse 5, he says, I am doing a work that you would not understand. I am doing something great. Number three, God's ways are sometimes beyond our comprehension. We see this in verse 5. You would not believe if I told you. This is beyond our comprehension. Sometimes God will reveal to us what his will for us, and we will see what he's doing, But often, sometimes, we are to live by faith and trust in the unseen. Number four, God will bring forth justice and punish sin. We see this in verse 13. God can't look at evil. Habakkuk was absolutely correct in his theology and believed that God cannot look upon sin. And this is absolutely true of God. We see that when God punished his own son, Jesus, in our place because of our sin, we see that in the flood, Sin will not go unpunished. And this is great news for us who are in Christ because we can rejoice that one day there will be no more sin, no more wickedness, no more evil, no more corruption. That's my son. I love him very much. There will be no more sin to blind us from seeing the fullness of Christ. No more blindness to the satisfaction and joy only found in Jesus. No more temptations to chew on moldy, crusty bread like like we talked about last week when we instead will feast on God's glory. So know that God will bring forth justice and punish sin. And number five, God hears us and answers our prayers. God responds to Habakkuk's complaint in verses 5 through 11. And then in chapter 2, God is going to list a, a set of woes that are going to be Uh, placed upon uh, the Babylonian empire and placed on sin. God answered Habakkuk's complaint with patience and grace. In chapter 2, again, we will see uh, God answer Habakkuk's second complaint, telling him to wait. So God is answering Habakkuk's complaint. He is going to punish the evil and wickedness of Judah by raising up the evil Babylonian empire to destroy Judah, and then God is going to punish the Babylonians. And ultimately for us, he's going to punish sin and rescue us completely when Christ returns. So what does this mean for us? If we have faith in Christ, we can be assured, as Habakkuk was assured, we have eternal life. We will not die if we're in Christ Though we may face trials and though we may not understand what God is doing, we can be assured God has great compassion for us and fills us in our sorrow and fills what we go through and answers us when we call upon him, when we embrace him, when we Habakkuk him. But if you're not believing in Christ, know that God must punish sin. We see in Habakkuk that God is merciful and slow to bring justice, as He so often is throughout Scripture and throughout our lives. He's He's merciful and He chooses not to punish immediately. But no, God's wrath must be exhausted. The, new, the good news is Jesus absorbed the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. He was punished for our sins. So turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. Now the bad news is sin can't go unpunished. So God's wrath will either be poured out on you or if you don't trust in Christ, or on Christ, if you don't trust in him because Christ has already absorbed God's wrath. So what steps do we take now? There's one easier said, then done, step, I believe, that we should take. Why sh- what should we do when God brings us to a crisis of belief and we hit this spiritual wall? God's answer is Habakkuk. Embrace God. Hold on to God. Cling on to God. Don't turn away from God. Don't try to find a way to get around God and and wonder and, and push and avoid what God's doing in your life. Embrace him. Bring honest questions to him and humble struggles to him. Habakkuk, God, now this is not a passive embracing. We need to daily fight our sin by praying and worshiping and reading God's word to wrestle with him and what he would have in our lives and in our struggles We need to wrestle with God, embrace Him. Don't you dare just sit back and be passive. Church, fight for faith. Wrestle with God until He blesses you. Don't let go until God blesses you. And then when He blesses you, you see how good He is and you don't want to let go. So you continue to wrestle and to to press in more to Him, to ask more questions to embrace him even more. And he promises to continue to pour out his blessings on you and fill you with indescribable joy. So church, Habakkuk, God, this week and in your lives. As the worship team comes forward for our final song, consider the injustices that you face in your life. Consider the struggles that that God has brought you to. And think about the three responses that you could give. And as we sing, as we pray, consider embracing Jesus. Consider embracing Christ. Consider wrestling with Him because He promises to bring you joy in that struggle. Church, let's stand. And I'm going to pray. Father, you are so good, you are so sovereign. With the word, you created all of existence. But God, with work, you then created us in your image out of dust but you created us in your image God to have fellowship with you eternally Lord and because of our sin God we have we have distorted our relationship with you God we have built a gap and built a, div- a division from you Lord so forgive us for that God and we thank you Lord that, that you cared enough for us to send your own son to punish sin for us God and so you brought us out of the, the miry bog God you, you brought us out of this pit of destruction Lord God when we, we, when we came to our knees and submitted to you Lord and you rescued us and you saved us And you blessed us, Lord. And you brought us to to spiritual highs, God. So let us not forget what we came from, God, and and how you you rescued us and saved us, Lord. You're so good in that, God. God, help us to trust in you now, though, Lord, because not everything goes smoothly and perfectly in this life. God, you allow evil things to happen. God, you are sovereign in all things, Lord. But help us to understand when we don't see and when we have this crisis of belief, Lord, where what we see and experience differs from what we believe in you, God. God, give us more understanding, Lord. Help us to see you work, Lord. Help us to see you move in our lives, God. God, take the blanket off of of your glory and your beauty, Take the blindness away from us, God, and help help us to to see you high and exalted. God, whatever's going on in anyone's anyone's life in here where they're struggling with injustice, they're not sure why they're even alive, God. They, They don't understand their purpose for living. God, they see corruption. They see wickedness. They experience it. There's evil and corruption everywhere, God, and it just rocks their world, turns them upside down. They feel like they're on this crash course to destruction. God, I pray that, that they hold on. And I pray, God, that you would help them with your spirit. You would, you would help them to embrace you, God, to, to wrestle with you, to Habakkuk with you, God. God, don't let them turn away. Don't let them figure out another way to to get around the struggle and pain, Lord. But I pray that you would meet them in a powerful way today, God. Whatever you're going through, church, know that God will always meet you. He will always satisfy the depths of your soul, the, the, the hunger and thirst that you have. Know that he will always meet you, church. So God, if anyone's not trusting Christ now, Lord, I pray that you would help them to see you, God. God, that you convict them of the sin in their lives. God, that you would show them your goodness. God, that you would flood them with your grace and mercy. God, and let them know that Jesus Christ died for them. He died for us to give us eternal life, to rescue us, to save us. God, let our theology of you and and, and what we understand and believe about you lead to doxology now, God, where we are just filled with worship for what you have done in our lives, what you are doing in our lives, even though we may not see it. God, help us to see you now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.